0: Welcome to the KPC podcast. This week's message is from Pastor Mark Santum.
1: Hey, good morning, everyone. How are you doing, church? Great. Um, as we conclude Romans uh, chapter 8 today, stand strategically, um, uh, I have asked uh, the good Honorable Bob Morgan if he would come up and just read for us. Just so we can catch the the breadth uh, of this beautiful passage of scripture all in one reading. So Bob, if you would come up and bless the congregation uh, with the reading of God's word. You know what? And L- let me just do this, because this is more of a, a traditional uh, liturgical church thing. But could we just now could we all stand for the reading of God's word?
0: Could we do that. Go ahead, Bob. From Romans eight.
1: And I knew you'd read you may be seated and i knew you'd read it with great emotion amen you were feeling that uh, let's ask god's blessing on our time today god we thank you for just even the reading of your word just how your word ministers to us we don't always need to preach it up and prop it up your word which remains forever long after uh, the grass fades and the, the, the flowers wither your word stands forever so we just thank you for the inherent power of your word and so today lord we ask that by your spirit uh, that the living word jesus will be manifested through the preaching of your written word god we love you we need you and we thank you for the great hope and instruction uh, that romans 8 uh, provides us so we ask you to open our hearts to hear and receive whatever we need to hear and to receive today we ask all these things in jesus name amen by the way uh in case you were wondering There are certain rules. See if we can get this thing to work here today. Hey, Harrison, do you mind just uh, advancing the slides? If you could do that, that would be great. You know there are rules for choosing a superhero name, did you know that? I've been very disturbed by some of you and your choosing of your superhero names in this DC, Avenger, um, Incredibles 2 world that we live in, people are wanting to become superheroes and the craziness has got to stop so i got some rules for you. You ready for them? Okay, these are, these are life-changing revolutionary rules. First one, don't call yourself by your real name. Don't say, I miss Ashley Stickley or I'm the amazing Joe Paluzak, alright? There's nothing super about that. Number two, don't call yourself by someone else's real name. Don't say I'm Mr. Rudy Giuliani or Captain Brad Pitt. (laughs) Number three, choose a name that suggests power, heroism, and prowess. Like Captain Power, Thunder Man, or Mr. Invincible, or Justice Man. Those are good. And they're not taken. I checked. So. Number four, don't be too modest. Like, yeah, I'm Mr. Pretty Good or Captain So-So or I'm fairly incredible, man. All right, I'm good. Be a little more, uh, less modest than that. But also, don't belabor the point. Don't call yourself, oh, Mr. So Powerful, don't even think about it, buddy. All right, that's, that's a little overbearing. Number six, don't choose a name that's detrimental to your crime-fighting image. Example, Doc, uh, Captain Spongecake, Dr. Kicklish, or Purple Slippers. Those will not fly. Those will not incite fear into your enemies. Number seven, don't choose the name of an existing superhero. Unless you have lots of money, and enjoy fighting litigation instead of supervillains. Number eight, it's no use calling yourself Captain Invincible if your only power is to control calico kittens and you suffer from a congenital heart condition. Just asking for trouble. Number nine, don't call yourself the invisible boy if you're not invisible. Number 10, don't call yourself the invisible boy if you're a girl. <laughs> Number 11, don't give away important information in your name. This is key. Don't, for instance, don't call yourself the Glass Jaw or Captain Vulnerable to Chlorine or Petrified of Heights Man, all right? It's a little too much info. And finally, don't call yourself the Green Avenger if you wear an orange costume. It'll just confuse people, all right? So you got this now? All right, expect KPC to do better in that department. Um, the reason I mentioned that, because there are also rules for basic Bible study. A lot of you are great students of God's Word. You know that when you open God's Word, you don't immediately just start wielding the sword around carelessly and making application right off the bat. You know, there's careful observation of a text that has to take place. Then you ask all kind of interpretive questions. Questions should be long. You cross-reference those with other scriptures, and then you make careful application. That's what you do. Another really good rule is context. How many of you have ever been embarrassed because you quoted a, as this great verse your whole life, and then you read it in context and realized, you know what, it really doesn't mean that? So, so uh, last week, Steve ended with, oh, uh, what a great sermon last week was, Steve, uh, with Romans 8 28, which is, a lot of you might have that verse on your refrigerator. Romans 8 28 has sometimes been compared to or referred to as the pillow on which we rest our weary heads, which is very true. Again, this is where Steve left off last week, and now we're going to see why this pillow is even more amazing in the context of its following verses, uh, 29 and 30. So just looking again, context is so important. If you're catching up, we are working through the book of Romans. We've been on Romans 8 the last several weeks. Um, When you look at the last few chapters in Romans, they give the beautiful benefits of becoming a believer. Here's some good alliteration for you. Um, in Romans 5 and 6, we, we, uh, Paul discussed the glories of experiencing peace with God. In Romans 7, uh, the, the joys of experiencing freedom from the tyranny of the law. Then in Romans 8, experiencing life in the Holy Spirit. Now Paul brings a beautiful climax to one of the great chapters of the Bible, Romans 8. So let's bring verse 28 into kind of a brighter light as we look at verses 29 and 30, which starts with the conjunction for, right? So that means an explanation is coming. You know those conjunctions, conjunction, junction, what's your function, right? For is going to tell you that there's an explanation coming. So if... um, I'm gonna read for you Romans eight twenty-nine thirty, but I'm also gonna throw in the bonus eight twenty eight, so again we can see it in context. For we know that all things and all things God works together for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For or because those who God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Verses 29 and 30, they they have a nickname. They're often referred to by many people as the golden chain of salvation. So, for your viewing pleasure, I put those links in the chain in gold. There we go. Make it pretty easy for us. So so Paul, he gives us an orderly and necessary ingredients to salvation. What does it take? for a spiritual orphan, as it were, to become a child of God. And so we'll just quickly uh, work our way uh, through this golden chain. This, my friends, could be a sermon series for 10 weeks straight, all right? So we're going to fly over at 10,000 feet and uh, take a look down there. So first, when you look at verse 29, he's talking about the people that inherit all the blessings of 828. He says, so for for those God foreknew, he also predestined. So what does? For new, what does that mean? Well, contrary to popular belief, I, um, through a careful study of Scripture and many, uh, certainly all the pastors would would agree with this. It does not mean that God simply looks down the corridors of time and he sees who will choose him. Like, oh, I, okay, I, I you know I got my crystal ball here, so so I see who is going to choose me, and so then I'm going to go back in the ancient histories of time before time began, and then I'm going to choose those people. I do not believe uh, that that is all consistent with the nature of God. After all, God knows everybody, right? He knows everybody in His sovereignty. But Paul is clearly talking about a specific group of people here. Romans 8.28 is not a promise for the whole world that everything is just gonna get better and work out. It is not. It is for God's chosen people. And so just as Romans 8.28 is not a promise to everyone, but uh, just to a particular group of people this foreknowledge is not just an intellectual apprehension that god just happens to know he gets the 411 on who will say the sinner's prayer in the future it does not mean that it is much deeper and much more beautiful than that the knowing that we're talking about here the foreknowing is not just informational but it's almost like whenever in in, in genesis it says adam knew eve all right that doesn't mean he just read Uh, the information on her facebook profile right he knew her in a very intimate relational loving way so it would almost be a better reading to say, those that god for loved he predestined this means this has the idea of god setting his seal upon our souls before we even came into existence and that's a beautiful thing of god it's an intimate knowing a seal of love put on one another Um, And we, of course, that bears out in 1 John 4. We love God. Why? Because he first loved us. All right, so that's the first link in the chain, the foreknowledge. And those he foreknew, he also predestined. So predestination, that's a word that just roused people up. It inspires people and scares people all at the same time. The word here, the Greek, literally means to decide upon beforehand or determine a horizon and set out for it. I mean, just look at the word there. You don't have to um, be an academician there. Pre means before, and uh, destiny means your destination or the end of your journey. So God knows the end uh, before uh, we even know the beginning. But you know what I love about this verse, and I, uh, I mentioned it at youth a Sunday a few weeks ago, that God just didn't conform us. Remember, this verse doesn't say. He didn't predestine us so that we would go to heaven. For as true and wonderful as that is, He predestined us to be conformed to the image of His Son. Remember the video we showed a few weeks ago, the sculptor the sculpture video? Yeah, that, that was painful in a lot of ways, right? But that's what we've been predestined to, to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And, and, and that's not a calling. You know, that would be an invitation for everyone, but very few are actually on that road right now. Um, and you know what I love about this is that it, again, makes sense of the suffering that we go through. Because how do we become like Jesus? Like Steve mentioned last week, you've got to tread the road of pain and suffering. That's what's so beautiful about the Christian life. Jesus gives meaning to the suffering and the pain in our lives. And what I love about this predestination, it takes all the boasting away from humanity, knowing that it's almighty God who authors all of salvation. So you go down to the next link in the chain there to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be firstborn, born among many brothers and sisters. We are his brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. So John Stott, I love what he wrote. He wrote, God's call is the historical application of his eternal predestination, which means he has called us uh, before we were a thought in anybody's eye except for his. But then in this life, we hear the call of God in time, in space, and history. I remember when I, this is a much less dramatic example, um, but this just popped into my mind as I was uh, reading this chapter. Uh, when I used to work for the School of Divinity at Regent University, I was in charge of hiring a lot of admissions recruiters. Hey, Diane Fiazza, hey, good old days, huh, Regent? So, uh, Diane I used to work together. So there's one, there's one particular gentleman uh, who's very gifted across the board, and I heard that he wanted to become uh, a recruiter. And so, I just heard the word. The minute I heard that, in my mind, I chose him like, I'm hiring this dude because I knew, I knew, I didn't know him very well personally, but I knew all about him, everyone loved him, he was amazing. And so, it took a few weeks and months to get the, the process going. I had to interview everyone, and, which I did. I did due diligence. And uh, he interviewed, he worked real hard for his interview. He was nervous and scared whether he was gonna get hired. And the whole time I was like, this dude, I'm going to hire this dude. So um, anyhow, I went ahead and made the call one day, and I offered him the position. He's like, wow, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that you, I must have really delivered in that interview, right? And, and you probably just made your decision a few minutes ago. And so I told him, yeah, something like that. But as I got to know more, I was like, dude, when I heard out three months earlier that you were going to uh, apply for this job, I already, I already chose you. But it wasn't until he got the call that he figured it out so you see the the point that i'm trying to make there is this is that god god knew you long before you knew him and so when you say oh well, i met jesus jesus met you oh, for untold bazillions of years beforehand and so in time and space god works he, when we receive that call now that call goes out to everybody through evangelism and through the presentation of the gospel because that's our call the great commission right uh, but it's only effective to those that have, been, um, that have been chosen since the foundation of time. So how does God in His sovereignty choose people and then still um, make evangelism real and meaningful? In His sovereign way, He does it. It matters. That's why this church send, uh, sends out missionaries. Just because you believe uh, in predestination does not mean that you should sit back and say, well, God will just pick them. God has invited us into His work, into His beautiful work of calling people, uh, to the gospel. People who are dead in their sins, floating in the ocean of sin, they respond to the Lazarus call of God by his Spirit, and that is a beautiful thing. So those he called, he also justified. Those who respond to God's effective call willingly, with a free will and a free heart, they receive God's gift of grace by faith. Remember, we're in Romans here, so remember one of his chief tenets is that we are justified as a result of faith, not by works. So justification, we are forgiven and found completely righteous in the sight of a holy God because Christ's righteousness is credited to our account. So beautiful. And the finally, the last link in the chain there, those who justified, he also glorified. So just like Jesus, when he journeyed from earth to heaven in his new victorious glorified body, how many can't wait for your human body 2.0, am I right? So, some I mean, of you like, bring that on now. I never really pray, was grateful for that until he turned 40 and then... Uh, It's been the prayer of my heart. And so uh, at this point, you might have the same thought that I did when I first saw this golden chain. I'm like, I think Paul missed one. Shouldn't sanctification be in there, right? Shouldn't sanctification be in there? Did he miss one? Well, I think it is clearly implied um, that sanctification is a part of that. Um, why do I say that? Because one, he always, he already talked about that we would be conformed to the image of his son. That is sanctification. To become like Jesus is sanctification. To be set apart from the world, to be made more like him. And then in, in 2 Corinthians three eighteen, he also says this. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. So you know what that means? If you are currently being conformed into the image of Jesus you are already in the preliminary stages of glorification it's already happening it's happening of course when we're all said done it's gonna be mind-blowing but you're also we're always in uh, already in the process of glorification so anyhow there it is the 10,000 foot view of the golden chain of salvation it originates in eternity it plays itself plays itself out in history and reaches into everlasting glory thank God for this golden unbreakable chain Salvation and helps bring even more significance to the peaceful pillow that is Romans 8.28. Amen. Well, uh, let's, uh, let's uh, shift gears here onto the rest of this passage. Um, did you ever just have like a strange or random rhetorical thoughts and questions go through your mind? Am I the only one? Like, boy, I'm glad. Do you ever think of how much trouble you might be in if, if people could read your thought balloon? Like, a <laughs> I just, what if it happened one day, of course, and you didn't know it, just everyone else? Yeah. Who would have friends left? Amen? But some of these thoughts, I don't think anyone's going to break up with you over this, but, um, you know, we have thoughts like this, I think we all have them, like, crime doesn't pay, you know? Does that mean that my job is a crime? Hmm. How can I tell when it's time to tune my bagpipes? No, I don't have bagpipes, but if I had them, I would wonder that. How do I know that honesty is the best policy unless I've tried all of the policies? Hmm? Why do why do people give their two cents when they say it's only a penny for your thoughts? Flood inflation? And this this one this one I've really thought about this summer. Why well, didn't know I just swat those two mosquitoes. Noah, why? We have a few words for Noah when we see him. It's this, that was it. Anyhow. As Paul loves to do, he asks three much more significant rhetorical quote, 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 questions than I just asked um, to drive his point home. As we consider the, the three questions that finish out chapter eight, we see Paul is really he's eager and ready to give these answers away because he would, he would, as we call them, he would consider them no brainers, right? And so um, this is like uh, the answer key. I'm gonna give you the answer to Paul's three questions right up front. I'm giving you the answer key right now. So, according to verses uh, 31 through 39, when it comes to the matter of salvation, here are the answers. There is no opposition. There is no condemnation. And there is no separation. Mm. There is no opposition, there is no condemnation, and there is no separation. Let's look at that, we'll work our way backwards and look at the questions. Question number one says this, if God is for us, who can be against us? In other words, if God is working on our behalf, which he is, Who could possibly succeed in overcoming God to get to us? This doesn't mean that there won't be forces and people. um, You know those people, the sanctifying people in your life. And forces like sin and death that won't try to oppose you because they will. But what this means is that they will not succeed in their ultimate mission. Thank you, Lord. So then Paul asks another question to respond to a question. This dude just loves questions. He says this to help answer this question. He says, he who did not spare his own son, but gives him up for us all, how will we not with him graciously give us all things? So imagine that, I'm just gonna give you a scenario here. Imagine uh, there's a man that comes across a teenage orphan, right, and he sees that he is uh, dying uh, from disease, right? And he's dying of hunger. So what this man does, he scoops up this teenage boy Right. He pays for all of his medical bills, he feeds him, he adopts him, and he pays for his college education, bringing him into his home, right? What are the odds that that boy, whenever he gets a car, his, air, his air, conditioning, air conditioning compressor breaks down? How many of you think he's going to go with fear and trembling to his dad, like, I wonder if he'll be kind enough to help me pay for this? Of course not! I mean, his dad has, done, has moved heaven and earth to save his life. Right. And so what's what's helping them out with a with an air compressor for, for, for a car? You understand? Because That is such a, a menial thing. And so those are the things that we stress about all the time. Right. So because God gave us Jesus, all seek first, the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you as well. So whether that is protection or provision, God has got it for you. He's already given. He's already given it all. And so part of the giving of that all is the blessing of giving you, giving us, all the protection and the provision that we need. It's an argument from the greater to the lesser, right? He gave it all, so everything else has just icing on the cake. In a more grandiose manner, how could we doubt that God would withhold any protection or provision from us when he's already showcased the apex of his generosity in the giving of his son? So the answer to that first question, is that there is no opposition in Christ to salvation. Question number two: who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Paul's painting a picture here of like a courtroom drama, right? Where the accuser, we all know that accuser, points to us to declare the depths of our depravity and runs that dirty laundry list of all of our sins. It's almost like you see him with his big bony, pointy finger, you know, pointing at Bob, saying, guilty as charged. Guilty. And so then Paul just has a one-liner afterwards. He says, well, it is God who justifies. So see that great judge up there? You should fear him, right? You should fear him because he's the great judge, but guess what? Because of Christ, he's also the justifier. And that changes everything. We know that it is God who does both. Because of the work of Christ, we have been declared innocent of all charges and righteous sight of God. You know what I love? There is no double jeopardy in the courtroom of heaven. Once you've been charged and forgiven, you cannot bring those charges up again. But, oh, we know the enemy does try that. How many of you have been reminded by the accuser of that, that laundry list, right? So uh, in the name of Christ and all that he has done, we shut the mouth of that guy and we break his teeth, break his finger while you're at it because he has no voice. Once you have been justified and declared um, righteous, no one can unjustify you because indeed Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. I'm not going to sing. Steve did that last week. He can carry a tune um, much unlike myself. But in the joy of my heart, I will sing that. That will be the song of my heart for all eternity. Jesus paid it all. So, the answer to the second question is that there is no condemnation for those who are Christ. If that's how Romans 8 starts. Romans 8 1 says, There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. All right, so at this point in the sermon, you got to be asking yourself, Mark, what in the world does the title of your sermon have to actually do with a sermon that you're giving? What is this thing about tight ropes and fortresses? What is that all about? Well, before we tackle Paul's final question, I've got a short uh, video clip to show you from a movie that some of you may have seen, so uh, if you could roll that one, and then we'll go on to Paul's last one. So, when it comes to salvation, and the assurance of the salvation we have, there are Christians, who had the assurance of a person walking on a tightrope, all right? Unlike uh, the gentleman we saw in that film, right? His name um, was Philippe Petit. Uh, If you ever saw the, um, I think it's on Netflix documentary called Man on Wire, that's about him. So he was a young Frenchman in the 70s who illegally strung a wire between the twin towers. And for an hour, as you saw right there, for an hour, he went out and danced and pranced in front of thousands of people below and the NYPD, who was promptly there to arrest him when he was done. So that dude knew what he was doing. Even if you watch that whole movie and you've you got something about heights, uh, take mean before watching that film. <laughs> but for the average person... Um, if you get to put on a tightrope, even 10 feet above, you're going to be, you're going to be sweating it. You put yourself 20 stories above, we're talking, we're talking official terrifying category here. And so just to have a poll and just to realize that when it comes to salvation, some of you feel, whoa, well, that if you take a wrong step, right, or if you get careless, or if you're on the wrong side of a strong breeze, that you may, you may topple over and fall down, and you will plunge out of the reach of God's grace and his love. I grew up like that. And that, my friend, we talk about bondage. That is bondage. That is fear-based, and that is not of the Lord. Some of us feel that uh, in keeping our salvation is like that. And so that's why Romans 8.35-39 through 39 is so beautiful, because Paul is calling us down off of the tightrope. Question three, as we see up there, says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? That's in verse 35. The follow-up question, shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? All these things, guys, are like the big bad wolf. Come to your house going to huff and puff, and they're going to steal away your faith, steal away the peace that God has given you. So there are, and they're trying to steal you from the fortress of Almighty God, which is His love. So Paul was affliction, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness or neediness, danger or sword. You understand that six of seven of these things Paul experienced personally. The last one, the sword, that was awaiting him. Remember, and so Uh, Paul is writing to say listen I've been there done that and guess what not one of these things has been able to steal me out of the fortress of God's eternal love and protection over me in fact even when the sword fell upon Paul's neck and Paul's head fell to the ground he understood the beautiful truth firsthand to be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord so he got a promotion I tried to fear him the dude got a promotion as his head fell to the ground, even though the Church of Rome was under per- uh, persecution, Paul realized that most of the people that he was writing to did not under- did not experience the level of persecution that he himself had at that point. So basically, he's saying, "Listen, I ran the gauntlet, and I'm still here, and God's love is still amazing. So let that be a peace and a bulwark unto your own heart." Because I wonder. I wonder if Paul were writing to the church at Kempstville today, the Kempstville Presbyterian Church, what would he write? I can only speculate, so uh, forgive me for uh, my own paraphrase. I'm acknowledging this as a paraphrase. But what would he say to us? Might he write something like, what shall separate us from the love of Christ, KPC? Shall unemployment or depression, divorce, offense, shall addictions or social media, Credit card debt, high cholesterol, low GPA, your 401k? Will anything things separate you from the love of Christ? That answer is obviously no. But how many of those things try to steal our peace away from us? Well, to sharpen his focus message here, Paul quotes from Psalm 4422, which is an interesting, which I thought was an interesting um, quotation that he had there. I'll get back to that poll. He writes, he quotes from Psalm 44:22. it says, for your sake we are being killed all the day long, we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. In this Psalm, the sons of Korah lament the death of those who belong to God, that died in the hands of evil men. And as is Paul saying to the Romans, that there is nothing strange or unexpected about the suffering that you are facing, as they are subjected to humiliation, defeat, mockery, torture, remember the time of Nero? Uh, Christians are torn apart by lions and they're used as human torches. So many of them would understand firsthand the very things that Paul went through. But Paul once again connects the unlikely dots between suffering and love. The more you suffer for Christ, the more you experience His love and the more you love Him in return. This is a great story. I heard it firsthand. Uh, If any of you know who Dave Raver is, Vietnam veteran, He was a Navy boat gunner that um, was trying to save his men by picking up a phosphorus grenade and throwing it away from himself and his men, and it went off beforehand, blew his hand off, and uh, blew up in his face. It is a miracle that Dave Raver even survived. If you ever see a picture of him, um, you may not get to unsee it for a while. He is grossly disfigured, but the the man loves God, he loves his country, he travels all around to. Um, share the faithfulness of God. This is one story I remember him sharing. I think I have most of the details right, but the essence is absolutely true. He was having lunch with a friend at a restaurant, and he saw two young teenage boys over at one of the other tables, right? And so he noticed in his conversation that there were, there were American flags on the table. It must have been around Independence Day or Memorial Day. And so they were taking a flag, and they were, you know, like beating on it, stomping on it. And so he's looking over, and of course this is agitating him a bit. The one kid pulls out his lighter and lights this little flag on fire. So when something in Dave Raber, boom, it snaps. He gets up. He's a big monstrous guy, by the way. He comes over to these two teenagers. He, bam, and slams his hand down on the table. They look up, you know, in shock, you know, with this, the, the flag on fire. And he says to him simply this. He goes, you don't love her because you never suffered for her. And I thought, boy, that, I don't know if these guys ever got it. But I tell you what, because he loved his country enough to serve, and then uh, he suffered in ways that most of us never will. There was a love born for the United States of America that these kids had no clue of. They're coming here just burning a flag and thinking that that's nah, nah, all good fun. But whenever you love something, you suffer for it. And whenever you suffer for something, you love it more. So what a great principle in life. So, I mean, I'm even convicted of this. When you think of the things in life that you should love, whether it's God, you know, His Word, your wife, your children, your coworkers, your neighbors, and you say, why is there a lack of love in my life? Ask yourself, how much do you sacrifice for that? Because sacrifice and love, they go in.
0: And love breeds sacrifice
1: and sacrifice breeds love and that's what paul's trying to say here hey when the suffering comes oh man you're going to experience the fortress of god's love like you never have before. final verse three verses bringing chapter 8 your crescendo says this no in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us for i am convinced of neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor the present nor the future nor any powers nor any height or depth or anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In spite of and by means of these hardships, Paul makes an outrageous declaration that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Not, it's good to be a conqueror. How I many think, oh, if, you, if you said, I, was, I conquered today, that's a good day, but Paul's like, ah, that's not good enough. It's like, you have to dominate. We're talking like Pittsburgh Steelers domination over the Cleveland Browns kind of domination. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Paul is so pumped up here. He coins a Greek word, "hooper nikeo," which means to be an overwhelmingly conqueror, an o- to overwhelmingly conquer. And so the irony here, is, if you can see the irony, is just a few verses ago he says we are sheep to be slaughtered. So a, a sheep to be slaughtered is the most unconquering thing in the planet, right? And so now he's saying that we are conquering sheep. You want to show that next slide? Yeah, that's who we are. That's us. We are sheep that are so fragile, but in Christ, we are more than conquerors. We are super conquerors. And Paul's trying to paint that picture because it doesn't make much sense in the natural. It's a beautiful thing. Because we are seated with Christ in His heavenly fortress, we have the upper hand over things like the power of sin and death, angels and demons, the power over time, the power of earthly and spiritual rulers, the universe's grandeur, everything that is created in all of creation. And nothing on that list has the power to separate us from the fortress of His love. So that's the answer to the final question. There is no separation, zero, under any circumstances. I love what Tim Keller said, on the next slide here, he writes this, in relation to this this, uh, passage we just read. Consider how practical Paul is being. He's saying, friend, have you been called? Have you found the gospel coming home to your soul with power? Have you asked God to justify you? Fine. Now realize this, that would not and could not happen unless the great God of heaven had set his love upon you in the depths of eternity, before time, and now is infallibly working out his plan to live with you forever in his family." Isn't that a beautiful quote? Thank you, Lord. So let's conclude, let's, let's conclude with this final admonition, shall we? Here's the admonition for those of you that need it. Come down off the tightrope and rest in his fortress of love. Because here's the thing about tightrope. You live in anxiety because in your mind, God is a small God. And then it's all the salvation, so much of it is on your shoulders and your ability to toe the line. But the fortress life, you live in peace because of your big God. And you are completely surrounded with his love and his power and his eternal protection. John writes this. Um, Jesus says this in uh, John ten twenty seven. He said, "Again, continue with the sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them; they follow me. I give them eternal life; they shall never perish. No one, no one, no one shall snatch them out of my hand." Mm. If you, if you grew up like I did, now I'm so grateful for my upbringing, Dad. Uh, if you see, if you're watching this, thank you for taking me to church. I love you, Lord. So many great things about the gospel. <laughs> But I did grow up on the tightrope. I thought things like this. Have you ever thought these thoughts? Have I committed the unpardonable sin? Uh-huh. I'm not sure what that is, but I think I did it. <laughs> what if I have unconfessed sin and I get hit by a car and die is that the end for me? What if in my season of wandering away from God, I have a heart attack and I die? What if the Lord returns and to my surprise and calls me a goat instead of a sheep? I responded to 106 altar calls in my day for salvation. What if I should make it 107? Guy, all of those thoughts, they are bondage. They are a prison, you are a prisoner of fear and your God is not big enough, or so you see him. You live in fear and doubt and anxiety because you think your heavenly father would disown his children much more easily than any human parent would. And you think thoughts like this, God, He's easy angered. He's not that long-suffering. He's arbitrary. He's capricious. His love does have conditions and limits that you Have control over the outcome of your salvation that you may not be the author of your salvation, but by golly You are the finisher of it. That's arrogance. That's bondage That's non-biblical thinking other people and forces. They may have the power not to snatch uh, Me out of God's hand, but I have the power to do that. I can do that myself giving yourself a little too much credit, my friends. I know that there are people in the church that think that a true believer can lose their salvation. I used to be one of those people. And there are, ber- there are verses of the Bible that, are, that, are, that seem to be contradictory. I get that. I still scratch my head over it. But we serve a big, omniscient, almighty God. And you know what? It's okay if there's a little bit of mystery in the whole thing. The minute we have God or the Bible all figured out, Lord, help us all. Amen. Let's keep a little bit of humility here. And I know I speak on behalf of the pastors here that we believe, on the whole, the scripture speaks to a big, beautiful, sovereign, almighty God who authors salvation from the very beginning and finishes it to the very end. Remember, he is called the author and the finisher of our faith. As for us, you know, we don't get lazy and lax just because our eternity is secure. But we flourish because we know we are in a fortress that is safe, we are secure and we are loved. Ask anyone, if you know any kids that do not feel safe and secure in love, how do they live? Their, their, their lives growing up, they're, they're in therapy, they're in counseling, but you talk to the kids that grow up in a home where they are safe, they are secure, and they are loved, and they will flourish. And that is God's beautiful plan for us. I'm not talking about, the, I'm talking about true believers here, not somebody that prays a prayer one, one moment in an emotional frenzy and then shows no fruit of the Spirit, no growing in grace, no becoming like Jesus. I'm not talking about them. Anyone can pray a prayer. I'm not all about the, the super cheap salvation just because you say one thing, right? There, it's an insult to the Holy Spirit of God to live years and years and show no fruit. Come on. God is not the ultimate judge, but we should see some fruit. So, guys, Jesus is inviting us to come down off of the high wire of salvation anxiety to find rest for your souls in this fortress of unfailing love. No opposition, no condemnation, no separation. Can I get an amen? amen. All right. Well, you know what we're going to do? We're going to stand and we're going to sing a song apropos to the sermon and letting the scriptures filter in. I want, you, I want us all to go stand to your feet and let's sing this with all of our hearts, shall we? And then we'll close our sermon.
0: Thank you for listening to the KPC podcast. For more messages and information, visit kpc.org.